Amen. Well, <clears throat> um, the cat's away, so <laughs> no, I want a I want a good report when Pastor gets back. So we're gonna stay we're gonna stay in line tonight. Um, just had some stuff on my heart uh, lately, and just in talking to Matt, didn't know it, but Matt's teaching kind of down the same lines tonight. It's really cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit tonight around, kind of around relationship versus religion. And when I say religion, what I mean is legalism. Uh, there is a pure religion the scripture talks about. But relationship versus legalistic religion and what that looks like. And just look at some contrasts tonight. Uh, just some really cool things that God says in his word uh, that really bring clarity, and I love being able to go and grab King James Version and New King James and Living Translate, New Living Translation and just different ones. And even now, the Passion Translation is really cool, checking that out in the message. Anyway, I just want to read some scriptures tonight, a whole bunch of, bunch of scriptures, but that's the safest thing we can do is go with what God has already written down, right? And so I want to just share this with you. This is uh, Jesus just, just kind of put yourself in this culture where obviously the New Testament has not been written yet. So when, when Jesus and the disciples talked about the scriptures, they're talking about the law and the prophets, right? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the scroll. And so just kind of kind of put ourselves in that culture, in that time frame, where when, when Jesus and other people refer to the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament. And this is um, Jesus constantly, and I just challenge you to do this. Read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, and then John is just a phenomenal book in itself. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is specifically... The 33 and a half years that Jesus lived on the planet and that documentation and those stories that are being told. And so during that time, Jesus, after he launches into his ministry at 30 years old, man, he starts blazing a trail. And, and when he comes across legalistic religious people, usually it's not good news for them. And so I'm going to read some of that tonight. Uh, but just keep bringing it back to Jesus and love and grace and relationship with God, which is the whole ball of wax anyway, right? When this thing wraps up, Jesus said, okay, on the day that everybody looks to and, and goes, one of these days I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account, right? right? I think all of us have been taught about that. And this is what Jesus said. This is pretty important, I would say. That day... Jesus said, I'm going to say one of two things to you. I'm going to either say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, well done. Or I'm going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. So to me, that's, that's stout and that's a little bit heavy. But then at the same time, it's encouraging to me that Jesus goes, this whole thing's about relationship with me, man. Right. The whole ball of wax. On that day, that's what we're listening for. I had relationship with Jesus. Amen? So we're just going to jump right into the scriptures here. This is Matthew chapter 22. Um, 
verses 34 through 40. I'm going to read this instead of just skimming over. I want to read. Man, anytime you see red letters, that's the good stuff. <laughs> we want to read that. So, this is starting in verse uh, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had si silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. Man, they're slow learners. Uh, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now remember, this is the scriptures to them. Right? They didn't have the New Testament. This is the scriptures to them. This, this is the big deal. The law of Moses and the prophecies by the major prophets, by the prophets. So the law and the prophets. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what Jesus said to this religious expert of the law is, uh, Hot Rod, everything that you focus on hinges on these two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now when you go back to where God gave the top ten to Moses, guess what ain't listed? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That ain't in the top ten. So Jesus was tweaking him a little bit and he was digging a little bit deeper than some external things, right? Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about. I think sometimes that's what we get caught up in. We kind of start viewing ourselves through this external, my behavior or what I'm not good at or my weaknesses or blah, blah, all the other things. And we, we can tend to turn that thing, aim that thing at other people as well and not just ourselves. Uh, but I want to show you in the scriptures, so the law addresses man's external problems or behavior, but what it does, it actually reveals an internal problem, a heart problem. And that's why the law is for the unrighteous, not the righteous. We've already got a new heart, right? And if you don't have a new heart in here tonight, we'll work on that here in a little bit. It'll be real easy, about that quick. Um. So this is why God gave the law in the first place. To show us our need for a new heart. To show us our need for a savior. To show us our need for God. And this is found in Romans chapter 3. Um, new Living Translation again. Um, Romans chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 19 and 20. Just really good. And I recommend... In your spare time or in the time that you choose to make, read the Word. Just get the Word in, man. Get the Word in your heart. Let, let it wash your mind. This is what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That's the purpose for which the law was given. All right. 
For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Did you catch that? That's the Bible. God said, here's why I gave the law. Not to make you right, but to show you you're not right. To show you how sinful you are. That's, that's the purpose for which God gave the law. And I guarantee you, it works every time. <laughs> I've, I've been working on it myself. It, it works on me every time. It works on everybody else every time. It just simply shows us our sin. That's what the law does. If we want to use the thou shalt not on each other. It also does this law. The law magnifies the strength of sin. Same writer, Paul, next, next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. He says, the, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Or what gives uh, uh, sin its power is the law. Man, I wouldn't recommend tweeting that. Because you, you, we will get some blowback from that. But that's scripture. That's what Paul said. The strength of sin is the law. We'll show you this. Uh, how many know, now, my grandkids are here. And so I'm, I'm not old, but I'm getting less young <laughs> all the time. I've got grandbabies. Well, when my babies were babies... My my kids were babies. They watched Barney. Anybody remember Barney, the big purple dinosaur? No, I've hate is a strong word, but I mean I did not like the big purple dinosaur. So if I told you this, remember we're talking about the law and what the law does, the purpose of the law. Do not think about Barney. Whatever you do. Don't think about Barney, the big purple dinosaur. Do not think about Barney. Absolutely, do not think about Barney. Now, what are you thinking about? Right? Because the law, the thou shalt not, it's just a mechanism in mankind. The thou shalt not, we, we forget the not. We lose the not, right? We... We capture the subject of whatever we're saying and that's what we think about. That's where our mind goes. And that's, in essence, the way that the law works. So when God says to Adam in the Garden of Eden, uh, I mean, they've been carrying on this conversation. They've been walking together in, in relationship and fellowship together and all this kind of stuff. And God's telling him what all he's going to do. This is why I created you, Adam. And da 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 Oh, by the way, of every tree in the garden you can freely eat, but thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what happened? Right after that. I mean, Adam was doing good. And God said, thou shalt not. And boom. The weakness in man showed up just like that. Isn't that something? God created the perfect man and the perfect woman. And as soon as he said, don't do something, they did it. That gives me hope. Does that give any of y'all hope? Uh, any more nodheads in here sometimes? Uh, thou shalt not. But that's what the law does. 
That's its purpose. That's why God gave it. He didn't give it to make us right. He gave it to show us we need a miracle. We are messed up. And we need a Savior, a perfect Savior. We cannot keep the law. Can't keep it apart from God, the giver of the law, the source of life, the source of righteousness. This is what Romans chapter 8 Uh, Verse 3 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, He didn't say something was wrong with the law. Did you catch that? The problem is, is within us. Our sinful nature that we're born with. The, the nature of Adam, the first man who disobeyed. We're born with that. And so nothing is wrong with the law, but something is wrong within mankind apart from God. So the law was given to simply prove to man that we need God. The law can only bring us to a place where we see our need... For a savior. That's why the law was given. To, to uh, think King James says. To stop every mouth. And to show all of mankind. Guilty before God. And it does that well. It does that really well. So the law can only bring us. To the place of where we see our need. For a savior. And then at that point. See we have to let go of the law. To be made right with God, looking to the law or our performance and our self-effort and our ability or lack of ability to keep the law. We got to let that go to grab on to the new covenant, grace, love, Jesus, our perfect Savior who kept the law. Uh, Move on to Galatians chapter 3 right here. Um, This is Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 through 25. Again, new, new living. Kind of got a theme going here. We like new living. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Um, let me put it this. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, or Christ, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Can you see that exchange there, where the law brought us to the place to where we saw we need Jesus? But the law can't carry us on into righteousness, God's righteousness. It can't, it can't do it. It wasn't designed for that. It just brings us to the place to where we see our need for God's righteousness and we quit offering up our self-righteousness at that point, which, which Paul said was like filthy rags. This is what Romans chapter 10, I'm going to just uh, read verse 4 there. Romans 10, 4. Several years ago when I was 
getting into the righteousness teaching and learning about why God gave the law and all that kind of stuff, I said this to my friend who was very, very entrenched in the law. And I, and I loved him, and he, he was just miserable. But I said, you know, the Scripture says, Paul wrote that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And he's like, no, I don't think it says that. Okay, well, you tell me what that says. And that's what it says. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, he did kind of put, that doesn't have parentheses around it, but you could kind of set that out. For righteousness, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Didn't say Christ is the end of the law. We still don't need to kill people, right? We still don't need to murder and, and steal and all those other things. But for righteousness sake, in order to be made right with God, Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I don't know about you, but that blesses my socks off to know that in Jesus, I don't have to offer up any more self-effort in my performance or lack of poor performance. I have to just humble myself and go, God, I need a miracle. I am pitiful in my flesh apart from God. There's no hope for me. And that's what the law does. It shows us how hopeless and helpless we are apart from God. Um, Another really cool scripture that I want to read, uh, Colossians, I think this is New King James, babe. Uh, my wife is running the words back there, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> uh, don't really have any pet names for any of you guys that I know of that I would utter. <laughs> Kidding, joke, humor. All right. This is Colossians chapter 2. This is so awesome. And you, being dead in your trespasses, this is starting in verse 13 and we'll go to 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Say all. That's every one of them. All trespasses. Having wiped out, check this out, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, you know what he's talking about? The law, right there. Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it, the law, out of the way, having nailed it, the law, to the cross. I don't know how many uh, have been in legalism besides me in here. I was pretty steeped in it. Like when Michelle and I met, I was steeped in the law. She had been raised in grace all of her life, and I had her so confused. She, like she was trying to get born again, 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 again. It was bad. I was a mess. And boy, when the Lord started showing me this through his word, I mean, what are you going to do? Somebody's wrong. <laughs> Either the God of the universe is wrong and Lynn is right, or Lynn is wrong and the God of the universe is right. 
I'm going with him. So at that point, I had to just humble myself. Um, so Jesus nailed the requirements, not the, the legitimacy of thou shalt not murder, but the requirements to be made right with God. And to meet those expectations, Jesus nailed it to the cross and said, I did it. Now you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to accept me. You're actually going to have to receive me to come and live on the inside of you. And now I'll help you walk this stuff out. Right? It's good news. And I know this is kind of a salvation message. But I'm telling you, there's still some Pharisee stuff caught up in me that, that pops its head up every once in a while. And I need this. I, I need to hear this. Uh, man, I don't want to be legalistic. I want to keep coming to the cross, keep coming to Jesus and saying, thank you, God, that I don't have to offer up anything of myself anymore. A friend of mine says, Jesus uh, spoke to him and said, uh, his name's Steve. He said, Steve, what did you not get when you got the gift of me? We got it all. We got everything. We have his righteousness. Thank God. Man. Over in uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is where Moses uh, sends in the 12 spies into the land. And so God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, I, I actually promised this to Abraham and, and your ancestors. And I'm fixing to give it to you. Um, I'm giving it to all of my children that have been led out of, of Egypt's bondage. I'm going to give all this land to you. This is my promise to you, and I'm going to deliver it to you. And so Moses, uh, you know, obviously they, they came up to the, the land. The children of Israel disobeyed, and then Moses disobeyed. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And so God said, you can't enter into the promised land now because you disobeyed me. So Moses brings the children of Israel up to the banks of the Jordan River and they're looking over into the promised land. And this is when Moses had, had been out in the, the wilderness for 40 years. And all of that generation died off and that's what God told him. He said, all of that generation of doubters is going to have to die off and then we'll, you'll lead their children back in. But you, Moses, can't go in. So Moses leads the children up to the banks of the Jordan Looking over into the land, he says, all right, I need some spies to go in. Sends 12 spies. Say 12. 12. Sent 12 spies in. Tells, gives them some assignments. I need a report on all this stuff. They come back. 12 spies went into the land. 12 spies came out of the land. 10 spies came and said, here's our report. Yep, it's everything that God said it is, but we're not big enough. We're not bad enough. We're too weak. We're, we're not able to do this. We be not able, is what the King James Version says. Uh, I was reading today, and, and Caleb actually is trying to interrupt them to say, look, and like exclamation points. God already told us, this is ours, man. God said he's with us. We've seen him just blow the other enemies away, and he's going to do the same thing. He's going before us. Let's go take the land. It's ours. God said it's ours. Let's take the land. But the ten that had the negative report, we be not able. We're as grasshoppers in our own side, as, and so we were in theirs. So they got self-focused, looking at all the things that we're not qualified at. Self-pity, self-loathing, 
self-focused, self-centered. We can't, we can't have what God said is ours, is what they were saying. The two said, now that's the ten. The two said, we can have what God says is ours, and here's how we can have it. God's, God's with us, and he said he's bigger and badder than any other enemy out there. He's going before us. It's ours. Let's go get it. Right? So, uh, just catch up right here. So, so, basically, the ten said, we're too weak. We can't do it. The two said, God is strong. He's with us. We can do it. Okay? So, later on in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter starts in chapter 28 and goes through 31. And so, here comes Moses. He's back at the River Jordan. And, uh, you know, all of the... All of the generation had died off, so he's bringing them up here. And he knows he can't lead them in. But he, he grabs Joshua, one of the two. Joshua and Caleb were the two that said, we can because God is strong. God is going before us. He's with us. We can do this. So God tells Moses, I need you to turn the reins over to Joshua. So check this out. So Moses, representing the law, okay, Remember what we read a while ago in the New Testament. Moses, representing the law, brings the people of Israel up to the river Jordan, looking over into what God had promised them. And, and Moses reminds them of all of the promises of God and explains that he cannot lead them across the Jordan into the land. But Joshua, representing our Savior, the Redeemer, our leader, our deliverer, right, will lead them in and go before them. And this is Joshua chapter 3. And I want to read this um, in the New Living again. Babe. Joshua chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 11. Love this. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of, of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, that Lord, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away all the way back to a town called Adam, all the way back to the first time that thou shalt not came out of God's mouth. God removed the barrier all the way back to the first time that the law showed up. You get that? God moved it all out of the way. God removed the barrier all the way back to its origin. Nothing holding you back from my promises anymore because we have a deliverer. 
we have a Savior. We have Jesus. Right? Woo! That lights my fire right there. So I want to want want you to check this out over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I'm asking you to please go and read the whole book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just that letter. Really short. Really, really, really awesome. And basically Paul is contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant. Some translations even call it the administration of death and condemnation. And he's talking about the law. And he's, and he's saying, if, of course, you know, when Moses came down off the mountain from getting the law, says his face shone like an angel, and they had to put a veil over his face because the children couldn't look on his face because it was so bright. And Paul says, if that old covenant that was temporary, that's glory was fading away and vanishing away and passing away was glorious, how much more glorious and bright is that which is permanent, the new covenant in Jesus, in grace. So I want to read this in uh, starting in verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter 3. And this is again New Living Translation. He, Jesus, has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not written, not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away. Need to catch that. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the new way? Which makes us right with God. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced with, uh, which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. And I'll, I'll just stop there. See, this is where I was every time. Read the law, read the law, went to. A place where that's what was taught. The law. We got to measure up. We got to stop doing all this other stuff. And start doing all this stuff. So that God will be pleased with us. So that we could be made right with God. Because after all they didn't say this. We're our own savior. 
Well, that's dangerous. But that's what we're saying in essence. I got this. Well, if you do, then you're the only one other than Jesus that does. I'm going with Jesus and his word. Right? So, that which was seemed to be glorious was actually fading away. Uh, I want to go here. Uh, remember what, what uh, uh, Jesus said to the, to the lawyer, the scholar that said, what's the greatest and most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, all of the law and the prophets... All of the law and the demands of the prophets hang on these two. Okay? Law and the prophets. Law and the prophets. Go over to Matthew chapter 17. We'll start in just in, in verse 1 here. Very familiar story, but I want you to catch something. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. Hmm. And his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets, appeared and began talking with Jesus. So you got Jesus, New Covenant, Moses and Elijah, law and the prophets. And here goes Peter. <laughs> and one translation said, Peter didn't know what to say, so he just starts babbling. And Peter goes, now remember, Peter's a Hebrew. He's a Jew. He knows the law and the prophets. Like Moses and Elijah to Peter, they're awesome. And they're kind of like Jesus, right, to Peter and to the Jews. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We'll just honor all three of you the same. <clears throat> Check this out. But even as he spoke, while he was still babbling, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud interrupted Peter's speech and said, This is my de dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus, the new covenant, grace, love, relationship, came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. What had faded away? The law and the prophets had faded away. And all they saw was Jesus. The new covenant. Whew. I love that. I love that. I was listening to a preacher and he said this. He said, fill in the blank. Blank teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on all ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So if you were thinking about grace and thinking about the law or the rules, and, and you were just thinking in your natural mind, 
And it said, blank teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. You would think that it's the rules, right? The rules tell us, don't do this and don't do that and this is what you can't do. This is actually Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and it says, God's marvelous grace has manifested in a person. Bringing salvation for everyone. Not a doctrine, right? Not a belief system. But God's marvelous grace has actually manifested in a person, Jesus Bringing salvation to everyone. This same grace, Jesus, the person of God, teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Man, that's good. That Jesus, the person that we've said yes to, we say, yes, Jesus I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to live upright, godly lives, self-control. That sounds good to me, you know, because the, the consequences of living the other way are pretty bad. Pretty bad for me personally and pretty bad for my family, right? Because any stupid thing that I go and do, it's not just going to hurt me. It's going to hurt my family, going to hurt my church family. So I want to live that way. But according to this, I can't do that on my own. I have to allow the person of God in Jesus to come and live on the inside of me. And not just live in me, but live through me now. This is, this is kind of where I want to land. This is Romans chapter 13, verse 10 says this. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love that's found in a person. Love that's found in God. Love that's found in our Savior. Right? That, man, all of these thou shalt nots, there's a purpose for them, but it's simply to show us how wrong we are apart from God. And man, I'm telling you, this encourages me tonight. This, this study is helping me. Because sometimes, man, I, I, in my mind, I want to think, I'm past a lot of self-righteous, judgmental attitudes and, and stuff like that. I'm, I go to Victory Life, man. We're a grace church, you know. But then somebody comes along that looks a certain way. Or somebody comes along that speaks a certain way. Or somebody comes along that has hurt me before. And man, I start feeling these feelings that Jesus ain't feeling. It's it's my flesh. And I have to go, God, that ain't you. And I, I want to I wanna look at them and see them through the eyes of love. That the, the love that does no harm to a neighbor. That's found in this person. 
that now has come to live on the inside of me. And he's talking to me all day, every day. Right? If I'll just give my ear to him and listen. I want to I wanna challenge you with this. And, and I'm right on time. I want to challenge you with this. I started just having to just think through this stuff. Man, what am I, th- what am I focused on? Just some of this contrast. My works, God's finished work in, in grace, in Jesus. Am I, am I focused on Moses, the law, the thou shalt nots? All of my weaknesses like the ten that came back and said, we're not able. I know me after the flesh. I'm, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I can't do what you said I can do. Doubt, unbelief, regarding myself after the flesh. Or am I focused on Jesus? Like the two that said, God's with us. He's given us this land. It's ours. He's going before us to fight our battles. Right? Am I offering up my own performance? Or am I resting in Jesus' performance? Old covenant, new covenant, 10, 2, we could go on. External, internal, right? All of this external stuff that we're seeing in, in ourselves and other people is just a symptom of something internal that we need Jesus. And, and not just that first initial salvation experience. Man, we need Jesus every day. We need to keep coming to Jesus and keep le- letting Him lead us into our promised land, right? Would you just uh, bow your heads with me? I just want to pray, pray over us.